Welcome back to the Pigskin Ken Football Podcast. Intros are boring. Let's get to it. Five minutes, five teams, rock and roll, spin the wheel. Okay, the wheel lands on Team 107, which would be the Trojans of Troy. And the biggest news in Troy football at the moment is the quarterback room, as we get a very late add to the room of Jarrett Daigie. Now, Daigie was the starter for West Virginia the past few years. Um, He also started at Bowling Green prior to that. So this is definitely going to be the most experienced hand in the quarterback room here. Now, he's entering the the fray very late, which may hurt his chances to be the starter, but he has definitely the best body of work of these three guys that I'm going to go over. The other two guys who were competing before Daigie showed up, and it was a hotly contested argument, at least on a lot of the Troy message boards amongst their fans, between incumbent Gunnar Watson and the transfer Peter Costelli, from Utah. I'll talk about Costelli first. Costelli was the highest rated of these three guys as far as recruiting capital goes. He um, is a dual threat guy. You know, he's a 10 8 700 meter guy. He was on the 4x100 uh, relay team for his school as the anchor. So you know this guy can scoot. Uh, unfortunately for him, he missed his senior season entirely due to COVID. That was his 2020 season of high school. And then he also didn't play last year as a true frosh at uh, Utah. So he redshirted there. So we're talking about a guy who is now two full seasons removed from playing competitive football. Now, the the third member that I should mention is going to be Gunnar Watson. Now, Gunnar Watson uh, has been the starter here at Troy for a couple seasons now. He uh, was the, the starter for the better part of the 2020 and 2021 campaigns. Now, he's you know pretty much a 2-to-1 touchdown-to-interception guy. Uh, modest yards per attempt to 7.1 on both seasons. Looks like he's not that mobile. He has negative rushing yards both seasons. And his completion percentage was 70%, 70.1 in 2020, but fell to 61.4% last year. His QB rating, you know, 142.7 and 128.9. So, you know, there's something left to be desired there, and that's why you have the competition. So, uh, before Daggy entered the fray, it looked like that Watson was the number one guy and Costelli was going to uh, have the future lined up. Daggy is only going to be playing one year here, but I don't see him as a guy who is going to be coming in looking to sit the bench and hold the clipboard. Uh, he he went to Western Kentucky trying to play there and was beat out, so then he decided to transfer here to Troy. So Coach John Sumrall and offensive coordinator Joe Craddock have quite a dilemma on their hands. It's a good it's a good problem to have, but as far as just picking their quarterback here, personally, I would go with Daggy. His numbers are comparable to Watson's, uh, and he's played better competition in the Big Twelve, you know, versus the Sun Belt. Um, so, you know, I think if you've got equal production, uh, and you're talking about tougher competition and you're talking, talking about more experience, I think I'd just go with Daggy. and, um, if Watson doesn't like it, you know, he can transfer. I think the future is Costelli, 
assuming he can pass, you can't just be a runner really anymore. You need to need to be a little bit of both. But yeah, if it's me, I'm going Daggy as the starter. Watson is the backup. I'm telling Costelli, your time will come. Be patient, young lad. Uh, there's good a good future for you here. So um, Troy message board, tell me what you think. Who would you go with in this one, two, and three quarterback battle? That is what is going on at Troy at the moment. All right, spin the damn wheel. All right, team number 22, the Clemson Tigers. Quick look at the Clemson message board. Has some silly discussion of... South Carolina's new mascot name. I don't really want to touch on that. Uh, we also have some discussion on Coach Streeter's development of DJ Ui Ungalale. I also don't want to hit that as I just hit quarterbacks with Troy. Let's just go keep it simple. Let's talk about the most fun thing about this Clemson team, and that is the defensive front, which is just oozing with talent. Absolutely oozing out the seams. My favorite guy is Miles Murphy. Most people are going to say Brian Brissy, uh, and I do love defensive tackles, but my guy here is Miles Murphy. You know, I think he's just a little bit better TFL magnet. My phone will not stop beeping. Let's put it on silent mode there. Um, Brissy's great, but I think Murphy's better. I think both are going to be top 15, 20 picks when they enter the NFL draft. Uh, a lot of people are, are really liking this. Other defensive tackle, tough name. I'm going to go with Rook Oro-Roro. And uh, Rook really had a coming out party last year as he had uh, eight TFLs in his own right. Um, you know, maybe even passing Tyler Davis on the depth chart here. I think a couple people in Clemson's locker room think Rook also has that top 20 draft pick potential. And, man, I mean, we haven't even talked about Xavier Thomas, uh, who is a little banged up and will um, get out the gate slow this season. But we've got Xavier Thomas, and he will be, you know, I'm sure adequately replaced in the interim by K.J. Henry, who is probably already going to split reps with him. (laughs) It's just embarrassing how much talent is here. I mean, like, are you serious? I mean, you got Justin Maskell, you know, who would – Start on just about every other team in the country not named maybe Georgia or Alabama. I mean, it is just an embarrassment of riches. Love this defensive front. Um, by recruiting capital, Rook is, is the, the lowest on the board as far as coming out of high school. He was rated the lowest by the recruiting outlets. But Murphy, Brissy, Thomas, Henry were all blue chippers. And then Tyler Davis and Justin Maskell were, were generally seen as just the next cut below them. So, man, I just I can't imagine going against this front. It's just so wonderful, such a luxury to have where you can just roll out, you know, monster after monster and just give the opposing offensive line just nightmares uh, the night before game day and just make their, their game day a living hell. Love Clemson's defensive front. Spin it! 
Team number 47 is Kent State. The Golden Flashes of Kent State. I'm going to go a different route here because I was looking at Kent State's future football schedules, and wow, let me tell you, Coach Sean Lewis is really, really going after it. Let me read these to you, if I may. 2022 schedule for Kent State. At Washington, at Oklahoma, Long Island at home, and then at Georgia. So he's got two top 10 teams on the road, and then at another P5, way out in Seattle, Washington. So he's get one, he gets one FCS school, Long Island at home, and then outside that, totally swinging for the fences. Probably going to get beat up quite a bit. Doesn't in there, folks. 2023 at UCF, at Arkansas, Wagner at home, so again throwing in the FCS home game, at Fresno State. There's more. 2024 at Pitt, at Tennessee, at Penn State. Now, it looks like Sean Miller has a death wish. I look at this a little bit differently. I see a guy trying to get that marquee win. And, I mean, I think it's very clear. Most of these are going to be losses, and they're going to be ugly losses. They're going to be squash contests, bloodletting sacrifices. But, you know, if you give yourself enough shots... Give yourself enough swings, enough chances. You may land that one haymaker. It's kind of the same principle as, say, biological reproduction. You know, you have, you produce one to five million sperm for that one encounter, hoping that one of those sperm is going to get to the egg and lead to a fertilization event. Same thing with plant life. They're going to have their 1,200 pollen grains are going to come out the anther and try to, you know, land on an area that can lead to the development of a new plant. So you've got, you take enough chances, swing for the fence enough times, maybe, maybe you get that one big marquee win that catapults you into, you know, the next, next job up. And I think that's what Sean Miller is looking to do here with Kent State's football schedule because they are going after it in a way that really, you know, by merit, by talent, by ability, only teams like maybe a UCF or a Boise State or a Cincinnati should really be exhibiting this kind of gusto in the non-conference scheduling. So I applaud Sean Miller. I do think, like I said, He's going to take some beatings. But, you know, if you line up nine of these games over three seasons, maybe you catch one of these teams on a really bad day. Maybe you catch them in a weather situation or a situation where, you know, the ball just bounces wrong every time and they go minus four in the turnover category. That's what it would take to beat most of these sides for Kent State. Uh, Oklahoma and Georgia just seem like totally out of the realm of possibility. Maybe you can get a Washington with a new coaching staff. 
Uh, you know, UCF isn't as talented as some of those P5s, but they are pretty close to a P5 talent roster. Arkansas, some would maybe say, is the lower end of the SEC. Uh, Fresno State, you know, again, you're punching up in weight, but maybe not that much. Pitt, Tennessee, Penn State, all, all P5s. You know, Tennessee ascending maybe a bit, Pitt ascending maybe a bit. Penn State's been loaded with talent for years, so... Admirable scheduling. We'll see how it works for Sean Miller trying to get that huge marquee W. Team number 112, the UCLA Bruins. Now, UCLA, I am going to have to talk administrative on this one because I can't let this go this whole USC and UCLA to the Big Ten move that has transpired in the last month Um, sources I'm reading here are saying that the Bruins will now be increasing revenue to 75 million annually uh, versus in my estimate, maybe $40 million that they had before. So they're pretty much going to be doubling the money that they're bringing in. Um, and this is strictly a money move. Um, geographically, makes no sense. Uh, you're going to love the matchups, the marquees. I mean, UCLA is going to love playing Michigan, uh, Ohio State, Penn State. They're going to get some great, what would have been Rose Bowl matchups, you know, 10, 20 years ago. Now those are regular season affairs. But for every one of those, you're going to have two to three uh, UCLA Rutgers matchups, or, you know, you're going to play Iowa in the cornfields, Minnesota UCLA, matchups that have a lot less luster. Uh, they'll still be fun. I, I love all P5, P5 matchups. I think they're great. Um, but it's going to be different. Uh, and then couple that with the fact that you're going to be losing some of your West Coast rivalries. Uh, you might lose an Oregon, a Stanford matchup, a Cal matchup. Uh, so it's, it's interesting. Um, strictly money driven. Um, but it, but it's, it's just kind of a neat development. I don't know what the implications are going to be for the rest of the Pac-12. I think that they're all going to be looking for a life raft at this point because when you pull away the brands from Los Angeles, that really, really hurts your footprint. And I don't know if there's enough other marquee programs out there that you could pull back in uh, to save the conference. Your, Your power plays at this point would be something along the lines of taking Boise State, San Diego States, um, or poaching the Big 12. Big 12 and Pac-12 are now, you know, very much up against the wall as far as protecting the current, um, their current standing in the realm of college football. And ACC could be in trouble too if the SEC decides to poach from them or if the Big Ten decides to poach from them. I think as currently constructed, 
the ACC is fine if they can maintain their current footprint. But if they lose two big brands, a Clemson, a Miami, a Florida State, they would immediately be in trouble. So very neat that the upsetting the balance here that the Big Ten has reached across the entire, uh, skipped right over the Midwest and Mountain uh, time zones and has grabbed two Los Angeles schools to bring into the fold. Uh, a lot of people not happy about it, but that is where we're at. For the fifth and final team of this episode, we have a call-in and a request. So here he is. Big Ken Ken. Hello? Am I on the air? You are, sir. Ah. Who is calling today? I wish you could see me right now because I am making a U with my hands. Like Tupac said, it's all about the U, baby. Oh, I think I know where you're going with this recommendation. So I'm guessing you want me to cover Miami of Florida. Is that correct, sir? Well, yeah. There's no other Miami, other Miami is there? <laughs> not not according to the youth fans, but you do have Miami, Ohio. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure you don't want to acknowledge them in any way. I've never heard of them. We're starting the season at 16. I mean, who else are you going to talk about? I mean, besides the other 15 teams ahead of us. All right. Well, um, so, sir, uh, may I ask uh, your name and where you're from? Well, yeah, my name is Dale, and I'm from Dade County because it's going down in Dade County. Very good, very good. I, I take it you're excited about the coaching change, bringing in uh, Coach Mario Cristobal from Oregon. Um, what, what do you think about Coach Cristobal? Well, listen here. I am the Miami fan. I am Miami through and through, but only when we win. Manny Diaz is out. Hasta luego, a-hole. Now we have Mario Cristobal gazing into his crystal ball, and it looks like we're going to be winning the ACC easily, I might add, because this guy, let me tell you, he joins a fine, long list of successful coaches. We got um, Jimmy Johnson, and then we got probably the best coach of all time, the pipe, Howard Schnellenberger, the man with the state of Miami plan who, of course, left us for greener pastures at Louisville, but you can't really blame him for that. But, uh, yeah, just looking forward to getting back to winning. All right, well, let's let's transition right into that. Um, so Miami is known for getting its fans uh, in the – many of the nation uh, very up in hype and bring a lot of uh, prestige and accolade and then uh, laying an egg, so to speak, and not, not coming through on the promise of the preseason. Uh, what are some of the – things or the biggest weakness you might want to highlight where that uh, may hold Miami back from attaining its goals this season? Well, I'll tell you what. We invented their turnover chain, but we might as well give it to the opponents after every game because we don't do that anymore. We don't get enough turnovers. So we got to fix that. We got to commit very few of our own. We got, you know, Tyler Van Dyke. That's a kid, a very, very promising young chap came in after the other kid got hurt. Can't remember his name, but, uh, we're all about this guy, and I think we're gonna we're gonna ride him all the way to the ACC championship. All right, so you think you can take on Clemson, eh? I know we can take on Clemson. All right, well, you know what? You sound like a pretty big fan. I'm excited to uh, cover Miami here for this episode, but uh, I do want to ask. So uh, I, I take it you got season tickets. You're going to be going to the, the home opener here on September third. Uh, unfortunately, I will not be going to the home opener. I uh, I haven't had tickets since. October 15, 2006. I'm technically not allowed to be at the game. 
October 15, 2006, you said? 2006. Let's see what that is all about. Now, oh, my. So are is this the infamous Miami-Florida, Florida International uh, brawl game? Well, if you know Miami football and you sound like you know the U, then you know we dominate Florida. I mean, that's what we do. We dominate Florida. That's our state. We run the state. But something weird happened in the 90s. Florida State got really good at football. And then Florida got good at football, too, in the mid-2000s. And then all of a sudden, we got this FIU coming to town. That's Florida International. We're talking about they don't just want to run the state. They want to take Florida across the world, international. And, I mean, look, we felt like we were losing our foothold on Florida football. And now we got this upstart team coming into our house. I'd be damned if they're going to come in and push us around. And if you recall, the FIU guys really went after our punter. Uh, Not the punter, the holder, Matt Corelli. He was a good kid. But I was sitting behind the FIU bench all game. And, I mean, I really wanted to get under their skin. So I kept talking about how our holder, you know, the guy who holds the football during the kicks, could beat up their whole special teams unit. Can you believe I said that? But anyway... We snapped the ball on an extra point. Torelli's in the game. Yada, yada, yada. My season tickets are revoked. <laughs> well, uh, I guess the, on a good note, you did win that game 35 to nothing. And uh ended Florida International's hopes of spreading Florida throughout the world. So, um, you know what? I appreciate your, t- your time here today. And uh, good luck to you and the U this year, uh, even if you watch them from afar. Yeah, I missed the Orange Bowl. Thank you for taking my call. All right, thank you. <laughs> All right, Dale from Dade County, going over the Hurricanes for you real quick. Like the roster this year, I mean, obviously you're very strong at QB with Tyler Van Dyke, and I think Jake Garcia is as good of a backup as you can ask for. The offensive line may not be extremely deep, but I do think it's got some potential stars in it. Uh, Zion Nelson, if he can stay healthy at left tackle. I'm a big fan of DJ Safe. Uh, and I think he, one of the benefits of having him is the versatility he provides, uh, able to play guard and tackle. And Ja'Kai Clark is a good center. So I think they're strong on the offensive line. Uh, offensively, where you may run into trouble is in the wide receiver unit. Now, I've got Xavier Restrepo as perhaps the breakthrough top guy. I think he's got good rapport, good chemistry with Van Dyke, and I expect him to have a nice season. But there's really no star in this unit. Uh, Keyshawn Smith, you know, is a is a productive guy. I think you can count on him to put up catches and yards, but I don't think he's going to be knocking down that door this year. Frank Ladson, along the similar lines, I mean, he's a Clemson transfer. He has produced some in his career, but, you know, he didn't break through at Clemson. Do we really expect him to break through here? Uh, Jacoby George is seen as the fourth guy by a lot of the pundits here. And I've got Brashard Smith as the fifth guy. Uh, he's a little bit of a speedster. But when you look at those five, the body types are very similar. Frank Ladson would be the big guy at 6'3", 205. But... In 2022, you know, most teams will have a 6'5 guy or maybe a 225 guy um, that provides a little bit of a little bit of a, a different kind of matchup for the uh, opposing 
team to to cover. But these guys, you know, Xavier Restrepo, 5'10", 195. Keyshawn Smith, 6'1", 182. Jacoby George, 6'1", 176. Brashard Smith, 5'10", 194. Those guys are kind of all in the same mold of body type. The one thing Miami has going for it here is I think they're very, very deep at tight end and very strong there. I think Will Mallory is a star. Elijah Arroyo could be a pretty darn good backup. And that is not even taking into account Jaleel Skinner, who they stole from Alabama. True Frosh, I think, could really splash this year. So you've got three strong options at tight end, which should help somewhat offset what I consider to be a slightly underwhelming receiving core. If you look at the receiving core from a talent perspective, uh, just comparing them, they're kind of more on par with a Florida State than they would be a Clemson per se. You know, Clemson, while not, you know, replete with high production receivers, they do have Bo Collins, Joseph Nagata, and EJ Williams, who are all blue chip recruits. So they at least have that high school uh, rating capital, and they know that that ceiling is there. That ceiling may not be here for Miami in the receiving course. So it's very nice that they have the tight end, the strong tight end room to supplement them. And I'm sure Van Dyke will lean on the tight ends this season. Um Running back will be interesting as well. I think I'll cover that another time. But I think that the main problem with the running back room is not the lack of talent per se, but it's more an issue of depth, especially with losing Donald Chaney here recently uh, to injury. So you've got Jalen Knighton, could be a star at running back. And then fortunately, they do have Henry Parrish as an old Miss transfer backing him up. But that gives you a brief glimpse into the Canes offense. And I think I'm about at my time limit for today. The spin wheel gave you Troy, Clemson, Kent State, UCLA, and then Dale from Day County gave you Miami, Florida. We'll see which five we get next time on the Pixie Ken Football Podcast. Peace, y'all.